Hey, this is Pastor Arm, and I want to thank you for joining me today for the Activation Church podcast. We are here so that people can activate their life in Christ, and I believe this message is going to help you go further than ever before. Check it out. Father, we are so grateful for your word because your word brings life. God, it supercharges us. It enables us to live the life that you have called us to live. So as your word comes forward today, Lord, we ask that it would fall on good ground and begin to produce. Lord, not just 30-fold, not just 60-fold, but God, my desire is to see a hundred-fold return from your word in my life, in Jesus' name. And everyone would say, amen, or let it be so. You know, that's what amen means. When you hear somebody say amen, it means let it be so. I am claiming what God is saying as my own. So over the years, I've collected quite a bit of keys. This is just a few of the different keys that I have collected. I don't have all of them anymore because some of them have been lost. Some of them have been discarded. Some of them have possibly been even swallowed by one of my children. I don't know. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. But but there was a time in my life where I had to carry all of these keys. And I, I felt like a middle school janitor that you could hear coming from a mile away. You knew Aram was coming all by, if you heard, the jingle of my keys. And the reason I had to carry so many keys was when I worked at my father's church, he had three large buildings there. Each building took different keys. And then within the buildings, there were rooms that led to rooms. So I would have to have a key to get me into the building, Bob. But then I would come to a hallway that would take a completely different key, which would lead me into a hall full of rooms that I needed more keys for. I'm sure that things have been simplified by now, but this was back in the 1900s, and we needed keys. Each key unlocked a different door. Each key performed a different function. On this keychain right here, I've got my office key. This key will unlock my office, but it will not unlock my house. Right here, I've got my American flag key, which is the key to the front door of the student building. It will unlock the student building, but it will not unlock this building. Are you following what I'm saying? Every key is designed to unlock a different door. The reason that's important to understand is because within the kingdom of God, Jesus has given us some keys. Turn to the person next to you and say, he's given me some keys. He doesn't just save me. But once he saves me and brings me into the kingdom, he then gives me some keys to experience the kingdom, and every key does something different. In Matthew, the 16th chapter, verse 19, Jesus says, I will give you some keys to the kingdom of heaven. Now let's stop right there for a moment. The kingdom of heaven has order, structure, design, and protocol. You don't just come and go however you please when it comes to the kingdom of God. And this may be a news flash to some of you, but you don't get to call the shots. Because within the kingdom, there is a king. It's not a democracy. It's not like the United States of America where you have a vote. Within the kingdom, you have no vote. 
you have no say. The king decrees, and we are called his subjects, which means we are subjected to his rule. We come under his rule. And if we are willing to come under his rule, then we can experience his favor, his goodness, his mercy, and his blessing. Somebody say, I got to come under. So when we talk about these keys, we have to understand that he has given us these keys to perform different functions. And if we do not use them, then we're not going to unlock any doors. Are you following what I'm saying? So Jesus says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Each key gives you access to a different kingdom reality. It unlocks the doors. Whatever you unlock will remain unlocked. Whatever you do not unlock will remain locked. Why? Because that's what keys do. When it comes to the promises of God, there are different keys that he has given us to unlock each promise. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's different keys. It's not one key. This key may work, like I said, this key may work for my office, but it doesn't work for this building. It's the same in the kingdom of God. Each key works a different promise. For instance, Ephesians 2 says, for by grace you have been saved. Anybody know the next two words? Through faith. So if I want to receive the grace I need for salvation, it can only be unlocked through the key of faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other way to receive salvation. The only way I can receive the grace I need for salvation is through the key of faith, not through my good works, not through my haircut, not through my ability to always say the right thing. It is by grace through faith. The book of Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So what is the key that unlocks wisdom in my life? It is the reverential fear of the Lord. Are you following what I'm saying so far? Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law, talking about the word of God, shall not depart from my lips, but I shall meditate on it day and night so that I may be careful to do everything written in it. Then... You will make, notice that, you will make your way prosperous. Then you will find or have good success. What's the key? Obedience. It's obedience. You meditate on the word and you speak the word so that you can walk it out, so that you can activate that word in your life through obedience. It doesn't matter how many times you quote scripture. If you are not being obedient to the principle there, it will not be yours. There's a, there's a passage in Philippians where the Apostle Paul tells the church of Philippi, he says, my God shall emphatically supply your needs according to his riches and glory through and by Jesus Christ. That is a popular passage. Many of you have probably memorized that, and many of you probably quote that. But let me tell you something, just quoting that will not cause that to be so in your life. Is Jesus the supplier of need? Yes. Does he have the ability to supply your need? 
Yes. But why can Paul tell the, the, the church in Philippians that God will emphatically supply their needs? Because he knows they've worked the key. They have been supporting his ministry, gener generosity, supporting him financially. And generosity is the key that unlocks the blessing of God. Give and it shall be given. You sow a seed, then you can... Are you following me this morning? I, when I go home today and I pull into my driveway, I will not be surprised when I do not see an apple tree in my front yard. I'm not going to get home from church today and be like, oh, what happened? There's no apple tree in my yard. You know why? Because I have never sown an apple seed in my yard. If I'm not going to use the key, then I cannot expect the door to be unlocked. Every principle has a key. One of the biggest problems I've seen in my life growing up in and around church is many people want the promises of God, but they don't want to use the keys he's given them. And then they get offended when a pastor or teacher tries to teach them about these keys. But as we dive into this series, I want you to know, for me, this is more than a message. This is a lifestyle for me. These are keys that I continually try to use in my life because I've seen that they've worked. God's Word will always work. I want to say it again. God's Word will always work. Turn to the person next to you and say, God's Word will always work. Here's the catch. You've got to learn how to work it. And that's more than memorization. That's more than quoting it. That's more than getting it tattooed on your forearm. That's more than putting a bumper sticker on the back of your pick-em-up truck that is actively walking it out in your life. As a matter of fact, faith, which is a key we'll talk about in this series, faith by itself is not enough. What does the Bible say? Faith without is what? Flatlined. Beep. So we're going to get into several different keys in this series. I'm very excited about it. And we'll talk about what the key is and what it unlocks. Today's key is honor. Turn the person next to you and say honor. honor. If you have your Bible, turn it to Mark, the sixth chapter. We will start in verse 1. This is a story about Jesus when he goes to his hometown. He's been doing ministry. Now he's going home, and his intention is to do the same ministry at home that he's been doing in the other towns and villages. So Mark 6, 1 says, He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. This is like their church of the day. So Jesus goes home. He goes to Sunday church. He begins to teach. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works 
done by his hands. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Who does this guy think he is? I grew up with him. I remember him in preschool. My mama used to wipe his butt. Listen, I don't care how old I get. If I ever go back to my father's church, there's going to be someone who will remind me that they used to wipe my butt (laughs) in the nursery. (laughs) It's not really necessary information for me anymore. Thank you. I appreciate it. But that's what they're doing here with Jesus. He goes to his hometown. He is teaching And all they can see is the boy they grew up with. All they can see is the kid they played kickball with. All they see is the kid that they used to clean up after in the preschool class. And the Bible says in verse 4, And Jesus said to them, he responds to the way they're treating him by saying, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. Why? Because of familiarity. You have to be careful what you become familiar with because it is possible that you become so familiar with something that you begin to treat it as common. Ladies, can I help you all out this morning? Okay, Joni, you're the only one that's going to get this help this morning because nobody else wants it. Men, when you met her, Remember all the things that you did and went through to get her. If you want to keep her, if you want to watch her blossom into the fullness of who she can be, you better pursue her the same way you did when you first met her. If you get familiar with her and you start treating her as common, you are not going to get a very good result. I've always told people, in every man, there's a prince and a punk. And ladies, you will get the one you speak to. What's the truth for ladies, too? In every lady, there is a queen and there is a queen bee. We'll just leave that there. But ladies, does that help you out? So, man, buy her some flowers, buy her some chocolate. Ladies, send me a thank you card later. You're welcome. I saved your marriage. It's not even a marriage series. But today we're talking about honor. And we cannot treat holy things as common. So Jesus says a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. Verse 5 is the shocking verse that says, And he could do no mighty work there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Did you catch that? The Bible says he could not do. It does not say that he chose not to or that he would not. It says he could not. This is the man. Everywhere he goes, miracles happen. Blind eyes are open. Deaf ears are unstopped. Crippled people are walking. 
people with leprosy, which is a terrible skin condition, they are being healed. Miracle after miracle, sign after sign, wonder after wonder are following Jesus everywhere he goes until he gets to his hometown and the miracles pump the brakes because they did not honor him for who he was. They did not honor the gift that was in his life. And when you do not honor a gift, you cannot receive from that gift. Does that make sense to you? You can only receive from something or from someone that you honor. So honor is a key that will unlock the gift of God in your life. It's one of the keys that moves you from being in the proximity of a miracle to the middle of a miracle. Think about that. Everybody on that day is in the synagogue with Jesus, the miracle man. They are in the proximity of the miracle worker. They are in the proximity of the miracle. Jesus went there with the intention of doing miracles, but they stayed within the proximity of it because they did not honor. But when you honor Jesus, it positions you in the middle to receive a miracle. That is why worship is so essential to a church service. It's not just the time that we are wasting to give the late people an opportunity to get into the service so that they can hear the sermon. It is the time that we shift our focus and our attention and our heart and our honor on God. It's not just playing chords and singing songs. It's, it's a heart thing. Turn to the person next to you and say it's a heart thing. When we give, the Bible teaches that we honor God with our wealth. It is an honor thing. And the thing about when we honor God, it catches his attention. It's like a magnet. Your honor draws Jesus to you. Your honor draws the gifts of Jesus into your life. Many of you are probably familiar with the story of the Roman centurion that comes to Jesus. If you're not, I'll just give you a quick overview. This Roman soldier comes to Jesus and says, one of my employees is sick. He needs help. Jesus says, okay, I'll come with you to your house. We'll deal with this problem. The man says to Jesus, I'm not worthy to have you come into my house. Now watch his response. He says, I'm not worthy to have you come into my house. He says, I too am a man under authority. I understand how authority works. If I tell someone to do something, they do it because of my position and my rank. They just respond. And so what he's saying is, Jesus, I recognize your authority. I honor your authority. All you have to do is send the word. You don't have to go there in person. Just send your word, and I believe that it will happen. And Jesus marvels at this guy's faith. But what produced that faith? His honor for who Jesus is, recognizing his authority. And it pulled the gift of God into his life. When honor is given, gifts are released. Turn to the person next to you and say, when honor is given, gifts are released. Now here's your first point for those of you that like Taking notes. Honor starts in the heart. Honor starts in the heart. 
When we talk about all these keys through this series, it is important for me that you understand we are not giving you a formula. This is not something that you just work. It is something that has to come from your heart. If you are not honoring God from your heart, it does not matter what else you do. You can sing all you lo- all day long and play an instrument all day long. You can give all day long. You can sit in that chair and listen to sermons all day long, and it will not benefit you if honor has not been produced in your heart. There's a time in the book of Malachi where God comes to his people, and he's saying, you know what? You're giving offerings. You're showing up to church. You're doing all the right things, but I've got a problem. If you call me a father, where is my honor? Because you're not doing these things out of honor. You're doing them out of obligation. You're doing them out of ritual. Anytime we make this, what we are doing on a Sunday morning, a ritual or an obligation, we're going to miss something. We're going to miss the presence of God. We're going to miss the power of God. This has to be a sacred moment in our life where we are coming into the house of God to worship the only true God, the creator and possessor of heaven and earth. Don't allow it to become a ritual. Jesus quotes from the book of Isaiah where he says, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. See, God is not just looking at your actions. He's staring at your heart. Now, when my heart is right, then the right things will flow from it. When my heart is right, I'll begin to honor God properly with my mouth. When my heart is right, then my giving works. When my heart is right, then my worship works. Are you following what I'm saying? Honor is a key. Turn to the person next to you and say, honor is a key. But it's not a formula. It's not a formula. This is not something you can just try to, all these keys, take it and say, well, I'm going to work this formula. No, if it doesn't start from your heart, it is meaningless. If church becomes a ritual or an obligation instead of a passion, you are going to encounter locked doors. If you only show up because I'm your friend and you think I'll get upset if you're not here, you're going to remain behind locked doors. If you're only coming because somebody is dragging you, you will remain behind a locked door. It cannot be an obligation. It has to be a passion, and we have to see this as a privilege. If anything that the whole COVID thing taught us, it should have taught us how valuable our coming together as the body of Christ is, because it, like, that was taken away from us. You know, we we always talk about, like, overseas, you know, they're, they're not allowed to legally gather together, in the presence of God, and we've talked about that. Like one day that could happen to where they're going to put guns in our face and you know, tell you if you go to church, you're going to jail. That didn't even have to happen. A cold happened, people started getting sick, and the church was shut down. And then when we were able to, when I say we, I'm talking about the church globally, when the church was able to start coming together again, I thought, man, people are going to flood through the doors. And it was the exact opposite. We actually had to rebuild our church. We started back with 30 people. We went from being close to 200 down to 30, and we've had to rebuild from there. Thank God that he's been with us. 
through that time, and we've prospered and made it thus far. Because there are some churches that never made it. They had to close their doors forever. Why? Because people do not value or honor God. They'll say they do. They'll say they do. They'll say they honor God, but it's lip service. It's not from the heart. It's like writing a million-dollar check right now. Most of you in this room, including myself, if you wrote a million-dollar check, it would be meaningless because you don't have the bank account to back it. That million-dollar check only has value when you've got at least a million dollars sitting in that account. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So it's not just what we're saying. It is seen through our actions. Let me tell you something, church. If we will decide from this day forward that we are going to honor God, we're going to honor the things of God, we're going to honor the things that God has established like his church, it's going to become a priority in our lives. When we come in here, we're going to shake off the burdens, we're going to lift our hands, we're going to worship him, we're going to praise him, we're going to celebrate him. When that happens, we will see a move of God like we've never seen before. You want to see the presence of God move and sweep through. You want to see revival. Revival will start when our hearts are turned back to God. In Malachi, he says, return to me. Return to me. Church, that's the cry today. Return to me. Return to me. If church becomes a ritual or an obligation instead of a passion, we're going to encounter Lot doors. Honor places value on God. It touches the heart of God, and he responds to the heart that is toward him. There's a verse in the Bible where it talks about God's eyes are running throughout the entire earth, looking for someone whose heart is toward them, because when he finds them, he'll show himself strong on their behalf. That's a key. Pursue God. Go after God. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Are you seeing that? All through the scriptures, if you'll start paying attention as you read, you will see keys. All through the scripture. And anytime you see a promise, you will find a key there that unlocks it into your life. When we talk about honor, it's not just honoring God that matters. When we talk about true biblical honor, it also deals with how we honor one another. Because there are gifts that God has placed in each and every one of us that can only be tapped into through our one word. You want to guess what it is? Honor. I want to show you something in 2 Kings, the fourth chapter. This is powerful. 2 Kings, the fourth chapter, starting in the eighth verse. One day Elisha went on to Shunem where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. Now watch this. Verse 11. One day he came there 
And he turned into the chamber and rested there. Now let's just stop there. The reason he is here in the first place is because of this word honor. She recognized this is a man of God. He's traveling. He needs food. She fed him. Then she was like, you know what? We got to do more for this guy. I don't want to just feed him. I want to make a room for him. I want to give him a desk where he can study. I want to give him a lamp where he can study. I want to give him a bed where he can can lay down and, and take a nap if he needs one. So now we're at verse 11. One day he came there. He's passing through town. She makes good shrimp and grits. He's tired. He wants to eat, take a nap. So he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite. When he called her, she stood before him, and he said to him, Say to her now, See, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? You've shown me honor. You've shown me respect. You've done something that other people would not do for me. See, other people want me to walk through town and give them the miracle, but you've taken time to make a place for me. What can I do for you? She put a demand on his anointing. She put a demand on his gift through her honor. He said, would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, well, what then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered his servant and said, well, she has no son and her husband is old. He said, call her. And when he called her, she stood in the doorway and he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord. Oh, man of God, do not lie to your servant. Don't get my hopes up. But the woman conceived, and she bore a son about that time the following spring, as Elisha said to her. She desired a child, and had, she did not have the physical ability to make it happen. But her honor brought her into contact with someone who could. Now the story gets better. As the boy grows a little bit older, he's out working one day. He gets sick. He dies. But this lady has Elisha on speed dial because they've developed a relationship based upon her honor. She has access to Elisha that other people do not have. Not everyone gets to call Elisha. Naaman, think about this, Naaman was an important man. He shows up to Elisha's house. Elisha doesn't even get out of the recliner. He tells the servant, you go deal with him. This lady, the boy dies. She goes, finds Elisha. He drops everything that he's doing. He goes to her house and by the power of God brings a resurrection to that child. Why? Because of honor. Unlock the door. Fast forward in the story. God lets Elisha know that a famine is coming. It's going to ravage the land. It's going to destroy everything, and it's going to last for seven years. You know who Elisha thinks you know who i got to call and and, and let know about this? The Shunammite woman. Why? Because he's got relationship with her through honor. He calls her, and he's like, hey, girl, girlfriend. I don't know if Elisha talked that way, but it's fun, right? 
girlfriend, famine's coming. <laughs> you need to split town, go somewhere that there's going to be some food and provision until it's over. It's going to last seven years. So she goes. It saves her and her family, this news that she received because of what? Honor. But she's gone for seven years, and in this time, her home and her property is all taken. It doesn't belong to her anymore. So she decides, I'm going to go back home. I'm going to go to the king. I'm going to appeal to him and ask him if he'll restore my property and my home back to me. When she gets to the king's chambers, the king is in there talking to a man named Gehazi. Anybody remember him from the story earlier? He was Elisha's servant. They're having a phenomenal conversation, Bob. The king's saying, tell me more about this Elisha guy. Tell me more about the miracles that, that God did through him. So Gehazi's telling him all these miracles of everything that Elisha has done. And then all of a sudden, this lady walks into the room, and Gehazi goes, wait. Remember that, that story I was telling you about the woman who couldn't have a son, then she had a son, and then the son died, and then Elisha brought him back to life? That's the lady right there. And because of that connection, tremendous favor came. And the king said, everything is restored to you. She created, she created a perpetual blessing in her life through honor. See, a lot of times we can stomach honoring God even though we don't necessarily want to do everything that it takes to honor God. We don't really want to work all those keys. But we get it. You know, he's God. We should, you know... So, so a little bit his way. But when it comes to honoring people, who's he think he is? I used to wipe his bottom. As soon as you do that, you will miss the gift of God in their life. That's why the Bible, Bob, talks about knowing no man after the flesh. Because as soon as I just see you as Bob the mechanic, the husband of Joni, I'm going to miss a valued treasure that's inside of you. I've known Gavin, he's sitting here on the front row. I've known him my entire life. But as soon as I just see him as Gavin, the kid I used to hang out with, I'm going to miss a gift that God's placed in his life. And if he just sees me as Aram, he's going to miss the gift that God has placed in my life. It will not be unlocked because there is no honor. Romans 12 verse 10 says, show love to one another. And here's my favorite part outdo one another in showing what? Honor. How many of you are like super competitive people? Not many. <laughs> you can tell the ones that are though because they're like, me, I beat you. <laughs> so this is your verse. This is your verse. Outdo one another in showing honor. I'm going to outdo you, Bob. Oh, you think you can honor? Watch this, big boy. I'm going to show you what honor really looks like. Outdo one another by showing honor. Why, why do we love one another with brotherly affection? Because love will unlock a door. Why do we outdo one another by showing honor? Because honor will unlock a door. Let me tell you a key that I've learned in my life that I've put into practice. It's this. Whatever you make happen for someone else, God will make happen for you. We are standing in the reality of making things happen for others that God in return has made happen for us. When we had no building as a church, 
we were financially supporting other churches to build their buildings. God said, okay, watch this. I'm going to open a door for you to get a property. Not only does he open the door to get a property, he gives us the resources we need to step into the property. When, when the county comes and says it's impossible to build the building that we are sitting in right now, God says, watch this. I'll open the door that no man can shut. Why? Because you have unlocked the door through what you have done. Listen to me. Whenever teaching like this comes to you, it is not trying to extract something from you. It is trying to invest something into you that will change your life. Honor will work. If it starts from your heart, honor will work in your relationships. Honor will work in your marriage. Children, honor will change your life if you learn to honor your father and your mother, even if they're not honorable. See, that's where we get really, we, we start getting like, because the Bible says, honor your father and your mother. It's the first command. He says, this is the first. It's not a suggestion. You honor your father and mother, even if they're not honorable. Even if they're not honorable. Even if they're not honorable. Now, you've got to figure out what that looks like in your life. I was talking to Randy about it the other day. So I'm like, what does it look like to honor people who are not honorable? You honor the position and not the behavior. Did you know that the Bible teaches us to honor our civil authorities? Even when they're not doing what they need to be doing. When Peter tells us that, and he says, honor the emperor, because God has placed him there. He's talking about an emperor who is killing and murdering Christians. See, this gets uncomfortable to us, doesn't it? It feels a little odd to us. Because we look at things and we go, how do we honor that? We don't honor the behavior. But we have to honor the position. Understanding, and here's what makes it available to, to us for us to do this. Understanding that all things are in God's hands. He is working everything out. He raises up and he brings down. And so if something is happening, there is a purpose behind it that goes beyond what we see or know. Our responsibility is to trust God, to honor God, and to watch him work. And I promise you, he will work it out. But sometimes that working it out looks like judgment. Can I just put my prophetic pants on for a second here? Sometimes the work of God in our life looks like judgment. And let me tell you what the coronavirus was. It was a part of a judgment that was coming to separate the wheat from the tares. They've grown together, but God says, now I'm going to start to differentiate between them. We're going to see where your heart really is. We're going to see where your life really is. We're going to see who are the true believers and those that are not. And guess what? We've seen that happen over the past two or three years. We've seen people who thought they had amazing faith be swept away. But we're still here. We're still here. We're remaining because there's still a purpose for us. The other night, I dreamed, it was, it was last Sunday night. It shook me to my core. I woke up just repenting. Anything I could think of to repent of, I was repenting of. Because in my dream, I was standing in service. I was about to read the passage, and I was decided I'm not going to read it from my, Bible, uh, from my iPad. I'm going to read it from a Bible. When I opened up the Bible, it was my grandfather's Bible. 
And when I was about to read the passage from John, the 14th chapter, which we read last week, my grandfather was sitting on the front row. He'd passed away nine years ago, almost 10 years ago. He was sitting on the front row, and he began to read a different passage other than John, the 14th chapter. As he was reading it, I was trying to determine where in the scripture he was reading from. I was trying to look over, and he stood up, and he started walking to the stage, and he started prophesying. And he started prophesying judgment. And he started saying, you know, this has gone on for too long, and I'm starting in my house, and I'm starting with my shepherds. It's time to get your life right. That's what he was saying. That shook, I mean, that shook me. In my dream, I was on my knees, like begging for mercy from this weighty word that was coming because I want to be found on the right side of the kingdom. That doesn't mean I do everything right. But when Jesus comes to my house, I want him to find honor. I want him to find love. I want him to find respect. I want him to find all of these things that he desires from us. Church, let this day be a day that changes you forever in your heart, in your heart like this, today things change. I'm, I'm going to start sorting through my priorities. I'm going to start looking at what really matters in my life. Am I giving place to God in my life? Am I creating space for him to move? Many times we want God to move, but are we creating space for him to move? When you read through the book of Acts and you see all the mighty miracles that are happening and people want to go, well, that doesn't work that way anymore. The reason we don't see it to that level anymore is because people are not giving God the attention they were giving him back then. They weren't distracted by Facebook and social media and CNN and Fox and CBS and all these things. They weren't distracted. Their kids weren't doing all this. They weren't distracted. You know what they were doing? They were getting together with one another. They were studying the Word of God. They were eating together. They were receiving communion together. The, the, the apostles were devoting themselves to the teachings, and people were getting saved, and miracles were happening. At some point, we've got to get back to that place to where God is God, and He is the one that matters. Church, hear me. Like This that we are experiencing now is a temporary situation. It doesn't matter how long you live. It's temporary. James says it's like a vapor. It's here one minute, it's gone the next. But one day, Alan, we stand in eternity. Forever. Forever. And it's not just where you will spend eternity. Most of us have a grasp on that, you know, heaven or hell. It's not just where, but how you will spend eternity. Because there are rewards attached to the work that we do. do. Do you comprehend, do you understand that? It's not just trying to make it to heaven one day. It's trying to get in there with some rewards based upon the work that we've done, based upon our heart, based upon how we obeyed God, based upon how we moved when he said move, based upon how we followed his spirit. Today, honor comes to this house. I speak that today. Honor comes to this house. We will no longer walk through the doors of this church and treat it common. We will no longer treat the person sitting next to us as common because honor comes to this house today in Jesus' name. Father, I...
am humbled by the opportunity that you have given me to speak your word, to share your word with your people. And God, my desire is that it would take root in all of our hearts, mine included, Lord, that it would begin to mold us and shape us into your image, into the people that you've called us to be. God, you have designed us to be a representation of who you are, which means we should look like you, we should talk like you, we should walk like you, we should respond like you. So Father, today I ask that that would be done here at Activation Church. Lord, I ask that you would draw our hearts to you. Lord, I ask that you would cause us to make you a priority in our life. Understanding, God, that it's not a religion. This whole thing was never about a religion. Jesus, you didn't come to start a religion. You came to establish a way for your children to come back into relationship with you so that we can be a demonstration of who you are in your kingdom here on this earth, the place that you have given us to dwell and to have dominion over. So God, we need you to transform us. Holy Spirit, we need you to fill us. Right now, I just want to give you an opportunity where you are to receive the Holy Spirit, to allow the Holy Spirit to completely fill your heart, in your life, from the top of your head to the soles of your feet to completely consume you. The Bible talks about not being drunk on wine, but being drunk with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? What's the comparison? The Bible's not trying to say that you should never have a, a, a sip of wine. It's trying to say that just the same way that alcohol has the ability to completely take you over, you need to allow the Holy Spirit to completely take over you over to completely consume you so father right now in the mighty name of your son Jesus Christ for everyone who wants to receive God I ask that your Holy Spirit would fall on them even now God fill them from the top of the head to the soles of their feet in Jesus name who is the baptizer who is the baptizer with the Holy Spirit Jesus, you came to save us and to fill us with your Holy Spirit. So let it be done right now in Jesus' name. If you've never received Jesus Christ into your heart and your life right now, receive Jesus into your heart. Receive him into your life. Give him the position of Lord and Savior right now. Right now. Let it be done. Let it be done. Now I'm going to ask that everyone will stand with me. And I know, um, I know that many of you in here have prayer requests, prayer needs. There are things that are on your heart. Uh, some I'm aware of, some I'm not aware of. And for, for uh, privacy's sake, I, I never want to go into anyone's business. I feel like it's there business to share what they're going through but I do want us to come into agreement as a church for every single person that's going through something that needs God to move on their behalf and believe that he'll do it and uh, we've seen miracles happen this week in my, in my opinion some of the things that I saw was an absolute miracle 
God. And I believe that he can do that for us today. It's Michael, right? I believe God's going to do something new in your heart and in your life today. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking that you would touch Michael. I'm asking that you would meet him at the point of his knee. God, whatever it is, Lord, I'm asking that you would begin to work it out. God, I'm asking that you would begin to use him in a mighty and a powerful way. God, I'm asking that you would begin to stir up the gifts that are on the inside of him. Lord, for every person in here, you know the need, God. You know what it is that we are going through. And Lord, we come to you asking for your mercy asking for you to move on our behalf. God, asking for you to do what only you can do. Lord, we believe that you are the healer of the brokenhearted. We believe that you are the lifter of our head. For those that need peace, we believe that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. We believe that if you need wisdom, wisdom comes from above and starts with your honor and your respect believe that in his presence there is joy. We believe that in his presence there is life. So God help them, restore them, transform them today. We thank you for your help. In Jesus' name.